Hello, the Vlad here. Welcome to Catpick Friday's episode. I think this is 18. Hard to keep up with these numbers, but I'm pretty sure it's 18 because last week I think it was 17. Good intro right away. We have a bit of different kind of episode this week because, well, first of all, let's back down a little bit. Rich is here again. Hello, Rich. Hi, everybody. You had a, had a I'm fun all right, day. Vlad. Yeah, I had a fun day yesterday. We were supposed to record this yesterday and then like there's a house getting built opposite where I live, where my home office is. And um, basically they decided to choose the exact time we were going to record yesterday to to hammer a hundred massive metal pillars into the ground. Yeah. Which meant recording was not really possible. I so absolutely have to. We're doing it today. a clip of how it sounded. It was kind of incredible. <laughs> it was like literally like yeah, 10 minutes free. before we were supposed to record. Like here's how it sounded. Just a short clip. Here you go, Vlad. What an absolute nightmare. But what makes this episode special is that we have a guest, a friend of ours. Damn it, I have no idea how to pronounce your name properly. Like, <laughs> I, I know you as Perry, but how do you actually pronounce your name? I want to learn it. Well, you're from Finland. You could probably say it really, really easily. Um, okay, after me, Vlad. Okay. Uh, say the first first name is Pereder. Pereder. Perfect. And then surname is App. App. And Gwynedd. Gwynedd. That's it. Per Peredir App Gwynedd. Peredir App Gwynedd. Per uh, Gwynedd. It's, it's like uh, two Ds in Welsh, because I'm Welsh. Two Ds in Welsh is like a, a soft TH sound. Like ah, Gwynedd. So Interesting. Gwynedd. So it's a bit like, you know, like Gwynedd Paltrow. It's like Gwynedd, <laughs> but with the, the ending <laughs> Gwynedd. So in Welsh, Gwyneth is the female name and yeah. Gwyneth is the male name. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's masculine and feminine. So Gwyneth. So, yeah. <laughs> Hello, how, how are you doing, everybody? <laughs> That's your Welsh lesson, for, your uh, Welsh lesson for, for, the, for the day, but people call me Perry. It, it's a fascinating language to just read because, like, I can read the letters, but it's one of yeah. those languages where I have, like, it sounds very, like, fun in Finnish for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's just super fun to read in Finnish. It looks so weird to my eyes, like uh -huh. somehow, like these are words, but I have absolutely no idea what it means. Same goes for like, <laughs> but I have a friend for, who's I think he's from Brazil, and he speaks some sort of dial, like local language, which also looks super fun when written in like in Finnish. If you read it like through Finnish eyes, absolutely no, no idea what they're saying. So yeah. I learned a bit. Thank you. <laughs> Language is great, you know, <laughs> language is so great. I love it. <laughs> if you guys don't know, Perry is uh, part of this uh, little band called Pendulum, has been in that band for a while. And actually, even before that, you've played with some other big names as well. So he's, I'd like to say he knows his stuff. <laughs> he's going to laugh about it right away. I, I, I knew that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with a question. Is there a point in like, a musician's life where they feel I know my stuff because no matter who I talk to, what level they are, they always like laugh about it when you say that. Hey, oh you know God, never! Yeah, no, no. <laughs> you, you, you never stop learning. You know, as yeah. you, probably you guys know, it's like you never ever stop learning. You know, the stuff I'm learning now is like, oh God, I should I should know that by now, but <laughs> but I don't. You know, but you know because you know there's so many different things you can learn one with guitar yeah you never stop learning guitar and, and music itself you know it's uh, it's a never-ending never-ending story of of le learning and education isn't it don't you love education <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what was the first like the first project that you did perry where you thought 
oh, I'm I'm a professional now. I'm doing this. This is my career. Um, so when I left uni, um, I did, the first thing I, I did was uh, I, um, I started touring with a band called Beats International. Uh, so it's Norman Cook from. Um, um, yeah yeah of course yeah so I, I did some work with him so st- uh, that was my first proper tour and then um yeah just did stuff after that and well um i, I was doing a lot of tv stuff uh, like writing music for television being a music, musical director on on tv programs in wales but I, I lived in london so i was traveling back and forth but um yeah just things like that but and then the pr- first proper big gig tour that I did was uh, Natalie Imbruglia so I did I started that in 1997 so um, three weeks before the first single got released and I was with Natalie then for nine years so wow so did you study music in uni yeah I did I've got a a degree in music so that goes back to the whole education thing (laughs) yeah because when I was in school when I was about 16 it was something I hadn't really compl- uh, contemplated. You know, I thought, what am I going to do? Uh, and um, this professional musician that I knew said, oh, you could actually, if you want to, do pro- music professionally. It's like, really? And uh, so I <laughs> started concentrating on it a little bit more. And um, yeah, the, I, I carried on doing music in school. And then uh, I decided to go to, come to London, uh, to come to university, to the university. Uh, a place called Goldsmiths College. Uh, it's a part oh, yeah. of the University of London, so it's it's like mm-hmm. the arts college uh, in the for the University of London because University of London has got loads of different colleges uh, around the city, and Goldsmiths is, is the arts, the main arts one. Uh, people like Damien Hirst went there to do fine art, you know, it's, and um, guys from Blur went to to Goldsmiths as well, and uh, John Cale yeah. from the Velvet Underground went 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 to uh, Goldsmiths. So there's quite uh, there's quite a history of not uh, well uh, non traditional musicians, not as a non traditional in the non classical uh, side of things uh, of musicians going there. So that's one of the reasons that, that I chose it. Yeah, exactly, like people who break the mold a bit, maybe a bit like Berkeley in America, because everyone talks about that one as being where all the alternative musicians go, the slightly more arty ones. But when you went there, were you always thinking that you wanted to be a musician in your own right, or were you thinking you were going to be playing for other artists? What what was your goal at that point? Uh, back at that point, I wanted to be a session musician, and um, because I, I just... I, I still, even though I'm I'm in Pendulum, um, I still do sessions because uh, I love doing sessions. I still uh, love playing with other people and you know playing different styles of music. So uh, that's my main thing, really. So yeah, I've, I've been involved with Pendulum since 2004 now, but um, but I still enjoy doing sessions for other people because you know, it, it's really good fun. <laughs> so um, so that's what I when I was in uni. That's what my goal was. So I did various styles. I actually studied jazz guitar, uh, um, and then that helped me a lot. Then when I did, uh, yeah. I played in a, in a funk band and you know, did all sorts of different styles. But uh, yeah, rock is my main thing. But you know, I, I I taught myself to do other things as well. So I'm, you know, just get a little bit of variety. 
So, uh, but yeah, as a session musician, um, I started working in TV. I started working in different, with different bands, touring with different artists and, and touring with different bands as well. Yeah, so that's how I did it. <laughs> so was that uh, Natalia? I'm sorry, I still don't know how to pronounce her last name. Imbruglia. Imbruglia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this turning yes. into a language lesson as well. Like yeah, her, uh, her dad's Italian, so it, uh, it's a, it's an Italian name, <laughs> not Limbrulia. Got it. So yeah. you joined her band right after uni, was that? No, no, that's a few years after ah, uni. But okay, um, so uh, um, I've been working with a friend of mine, uh, it's a drummer called Chuck Sabo. Chuck played with everybody. God, uh, Elton John, Tina Turner. Um, it's the list of. Chuck's with C, Chuck CV is just ridiculous, and um, he got asked to put a band together uh, by the record company, and so he got myself, my brother, and uh, another guitarist called Chester Cayman. Chester plays with Chester played with Madonna. Chester played with his le most recent thing is uh, he's a he plays second guitar in Dave Gilmore's band. He's played. Uh, guitar in Roger Waters' band. Um, he's played in Roxy Music. You know he's. Chester is as a session guitarist he's up there you know so is it myself Chester my brother and Chuck so Chuck put this band together and so there weren't any auditions or anything we, we just turned up the first <laughs> rehearsal with Natalie and that we just got the gig you know so it's um yeah so it, so that's how that happened so it's that one it was probably who you know not what you know although it's it's <laughs> no we, 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 we wouldn't have been asked if we couldn't play so it's, sure. it's uh, <laughs> yeah but it was uh, no, that, was, that was nine years then it was yeah that was a, one hell of a laugh yeah it was really good fun <laughs> yeah was the first single torn or was yes. the stuff before that wow so yeah. it went straight from nothing to yeah massive so the, so the funny thing was, so I, I joined, uh, well, the ba band was put, put together about three weeks before Torn was released. So I got a copy, a promo copy of the of the single and I put it on my CD player. I listened to it and went, yeah, it's all right. I might, might get three months' work out of this. Because, <laughs> so three months, you know, it, was, it was nine years. It, no, nobody had any idea what was going to happen uh, with that song. It just went ballistic. And um, you know, all of a sudden, everybody wanted us. You know, so from, that was released in September '97. So from September '97 for two years, we were just going round around the world. We, we we were circumnavigating the globe many many times because you know Australia wanted us, Germany wanted us, Netherlands wanted us, America wanted because in the states it got to number one. The song got to number one. And it was at number one for ten weeks, so you know, we did. You know, it was it was so much promotion involved, you know, as well as touring. You know, we were doing Jay Leno, we uh, did Leno about four times. We did uh, Letterman five times. We did Saturday Night Live. We did you know all these shows, all that type of show, all around the world as well. So, it was, and we were all playing live as well. There was a couple of um, lip syncing uh, gigs that we did, but. But it was, we were hired as a live band, and so uh, nearly everywhere we played, it was as a live band. So it was, that was very, very exciting. <laughs> uh, did you feel like it's a bit overwhelming going from like nothing to that right away? Like, was it difficult to handle? 
Oh no, 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 not at all. It was <laughs> because it was a lot of fun. We sure. it was like it just you know because we we get looked after really really well. Here, oh, that's you know? good. It's like, it, was, it was you know uh, we'd we turn up in in a new country and you know there'd be. We'd be in really nice hotels, and there'd be presents for us in, in our rooms, you know, and you know, from the local guys, from the local record company promoters, and no, so we were having a really good time. Um, it, was, it was very, very exciting. So you, you didn't uh, the whole overwhelming. It's probably when you look back back at it and you go, "Wow, what happened there?" Because <laughs> it, it was nuts. Because most people don't. Um, we were so lucky, you know. Uh, well, I count myself as very, very lucky to um, to have seen that because uh, most people don't get to see it. Because uh, and yeah, it, it's, it's quite it's such a privilege to do it because I because I, I, you know how lucky you are being on that stage or being on this airplane flying to so and so. It's you know, it's it's a privilege. You know, it's like because. Because as I said, not many people get to see that, and us getting to see that so young is like it, it kind of helped us then. Well, helped me, you know, with with later gigs. So it was, uh, yeah, it was it was one hell of a laugh, and uh, it's uh, it, you know. And anybody gets a chance to do that, just do it. <laughs> Honestly, it's nuts. <laughs> Yeah, I guess a question I hear a lot from people who are not in the industry is like, I would love the opportunity to do, you know, for example, mm. what Perry has done to get into one of these big bands and to accompany, you know, an international artist on tour. But it's like, how do you get that call? You know, you got that it's, call pretty fresh out of music school. And it, is it luck? Is it the, is it, it who you know, like you said before, and talent together, a mix of everything? It's both. It's both. It's uh Luck and talent, and, and who you know. Um, the way I went around it was, um, I. Anybody asked me to do anything, I'd say yes to it. So it doesn't matter what the gig is, say yes. Because um, at, at one point I was playing for like twenty different artists, uh, you know, uh, most of them weren't paid. So yeah, um, just say yes. So. Uh, so-and-so's got a country and western band uh they're looking for a guitarist for one gig say yes you know just say yes to everything and um because eventually if you say yes to everything then more people will get to know you and get to know who you are um and the more that happens the the more somebody will somebody might get asked to do a big gig and then they'll think of you the less people that know of you know about you and um so uh that's not going to happen if uh, uh, quite if not not many people know about you personally so the more people that you play with the better and i'd say move to a big city cuz <laughs> you get more chances if you live in a big city it's it's hard i mean rent like uh, rent in a big city if you're just moving there for the first time is you know it's quite you know, it's quite expensive but you know it's something that you have to do it's you're much better being in a big city like london or any of the capital cities uh, around the world than somewhere small because you get more of a chance to play with more people so that's what i did i, I moved to london at, at an early age and um 
So basically, I spent all my adult, adult life in London. If I if, if I stayed in Wales, I wouldn't have the, wouldn't have had the opportunities uh, that I've had because I wouldn't have met all these different people. So um, so yeah, for me, moving to London and doing as many gigs as humanly possible, um, and a lot of the time for no money. But that's <laughs> if you're starting off, that's how you walk up, get up. You know the ladder. You know you walk up the ladder. You get higher and higher and higher. And eventually, if you know, you're more likely to get a gig if you know fifty people in the music industry than if you know five. So that's uh, it's. Of course, there's a lot of luck involved. A lot of luck. Um, this, yeah. You know, uh, I'm not saying if that you, you do that, you will get uh, a big gig. But you've got more of a chance to get a big gig if you do that. If you see what I mean. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. I guess the other side is that you obviously need to know your craft and kind of be prepared. Like when the opportunity comes, you're going to say yes, and then you kind of need to deliver. Okay, I'm actually getting a call, but I'll call back. Yeah. Is it the accountant? <laughs> Don't know. Unknown number. Let me actually <laughs> check. You guys take it over for a second. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we'll just carry on chatting. Yeah, so it's like... um. <laughs> I've talked to a lot of American musicians as well, who I guess are in a similar position to you. You know, they've toured with big artists. And the number one rule that a lot of American guys also give is don't be a dick. Oh, absolutely. You've yeah. got to be a cool person to hang out with on tour, yeah. you know, because you've got 23 hours a day when you're not playing the show. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if, if you that's so right. If you're a bit of a dick, then you'll definitely not get asked back. You know, yeah. you have to you have to be able to fit in. You um, if if the artist said says something that you disagree with, you keep your mouth shut. Because if you start <laughs> arguing with the artist, you, you won't get asked back. So um, it's you've, you've you've got to know when to be quiet. And you you know if you're an asshole, then you definitely won't get <laughs> asked back because nobody likes working with assholes, don't they? So no, um, no, exactly. Uh, Yes. So if they don't, if so and so is an asshole, then people go, oh, I don't like him or her. Um, I don't want to work with them anymore. You know what? We'll get somebody else in. That's what will happen. And you, and you see yeah. it happening all the time. You know, if, if somebody, uh, well, starts acting up on a gig or on a tour, you know, because remember, when you're on tour, you're in a tour bus. You know, sometimes there can, can be about 16 people in this metal tube. And if one person is is a dick, then that or the other fifteen people, you know, have a miserable time, you know. And people would rather tour with with nice people than, than horrible people. So yeah, that's a, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that, that's a very very good point actually. Don't be a dick. <laughs> Don't be a dick. Rule number yeah, one for the yeah. uh, for the touring musician. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah, but. Uh, the artists themselves, like the, the creative talent, the name behind it, can afford to be a bit more of a, a dick. I'm not saying that any of them are, but they can afford to be because they're what people are there for. <laughs> have you ever had a situation with you? You said you've kept your mouth shut in the past, but ever have you ever had a situation where you were working for a dick and you were like, this is tricky? Um, you don't need to name names, by the way. No, I, I've actually been quite <laughs> lucky, but, uh, you know, um, it's... Because when you're in a situation like that, it's only the artist's opinion that counts. Um, the artist could ask you for an opinion, 
But if that artist wants you to, to do this or that, you do it. If you don't want to do it, you do it because you're getting paid by that person to do a job. And if, if this job involves you doing something or playing something you don't don't like, th then that's tough. You know, you're probably in the wrong job because <laughs> the whole thing with being a session musician is that you have to be malleable. You have to, uh, if, for example, if you, if you might be playing a song that you don't like, and then you, uh, an art, the artist might ask you to play a part that you don't like. It's like who cares? You play that part like that the artist wants you to play because that is your job. You know, it's um, <laughs> it's it's actually that simple. And um, yeah, but yeah, because you're you're a hired hand at the end of the day. You know, you're a hired gun. So it, it's like going into the office uh, and, and, and doing a job and your boss says, oh, can you, can you sort this emails out for us? And you go, no. <laughs> so you don't do that because you'll get fired. <laughs> you know, you know, it's, it's like with every job, you do some things that you, you might not like, but it's, you just, just do it because <laughs> it's the job. And I mean, it's one of the nice offices you can have when you're like, get to tour and play big stages so yeah makes a lot of sense yeah, um it's well, well a, a lot of touring you know being on stage is, is well for me the best job you can get but yeah. the bits in between the traveling you know it, it, uh, for the first year that you do it is very exciting the second year you do it is uh, exciting for the 15th year if you're in the tour bus going from you know leipzig to paris for the God knows how many times. Yeah, it's it's it just it does tend to get tedious. So um, yeah, the the gig itself is amazing, but the bits in between are boring. That the so the way that I um, counteract that boredom is I take my bicycle on on tour with me. So ah. so so it's yeah. So I do a little bit of exercise and. Uh, so yeah, y everybody finds their little thing to counteract the boredom. So it's um, yeah, being on stage is I'm, I'm very lucky to be able to to be able to do it. It is the best gig, but the best job you can get um, for me. And um, but you know, it, the boredom does counteract that. You know, it's a bit of a yin yang situation with it because uh, you know it's. Because when you get to gigs, most dressing rooms um, backstage, are, are, you know, they're either toilets, um, changing rooms in, in sports halls. You know, you know, everybody's changed in a in a changing room in school or in a sports hall. It's that. <laughs> it's like it's not glamorous. It's tiles and yeah, you know, and there's showers in the corner. It's just changing rooms that you get in, you know, in school or in the, in your local gym. So there's, there's nothing glamorous about that at all. But you know, but the, the being on stage thing is, you know, that makes up for it big time. How much has it changed since '97 when you started? I mean, until Corona happened, obviously. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I actually can't remember the last time I did a gig. <laughs> um, it, it hasn't changed that much. It's um, it's still sitting in a tour bus. Or, well, to, apart from being on stage, you know, it's still sitting in a tour, tour bus. You're still queuing up in an airport or, you know, 
it's it hasn't changed that much at all. You know? It's um, I couldn't say before '97 because I wasn't doing it before then. But um, I, I think pre '90s, <coughs> excuse me, uh, pre AIDS and stuff like that. Apparently, it was a lot more exciting. <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, I never experienced any of that. But um, it's uh, it's. No, yeah, it hasn't changed that much, to tell you the truth. <laughs> so, uh, you've been part of Pendulum, did you say, like, at least involved from 2004, right? Yeah, I started, um, I was playing with, um, I was doing set sessions with a, a producer called DJ Fresh. Um, and he, he had a drum and bass act called uh, Digital Nation. And I'd been doing stuff with him from 1999 onwards. And um, so basically, um, he was doing quite heavy drum and bass, heavy dark drum and bass. And I was putting electric guitar, like heavy metal guitars on top of it. And um, so then he had a label and he signed this Australian band and um, called Pendulum. And they they moved from Australia to London. And they started writing their new al their first album and they needed some guitar on it. And um, DJ Fresh uh, said, oh, my mate Perry will do it. It's another one of those things of <laughs> my mate this, my mate that. It's um, just contacts, you know, because I started playing with Dan um, through another friend, through a drummer friend of mine. So um, it's, it's just these weird connections that... that uh, that that can follow. Well, the, I can the, from the first gig, first professional I gig, uh, gig, gig that I did. Sorry, um, I can follow the timeline from that first gig up to Pendulum. So if I hadn't wow. done that first gig for nothing, I wouldn't be in, in Pendulum. So, so I, 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 you can follow the timeline. So um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, he said, uh, DJ Fresh. He, he's his own. Um, so he's a solo artist now, and he's had a few number ones himself. And uh, so Dan, DJ Fresh, um, introduced me to the to the guys, and I played them the first album. Then uh, a couple of years later, they decided we wanted to do it live. So we did first gig in London. Uh, we, we played two songs. Um, so, and then after that gig, uh, a few months later, decided, okay, let's let's do this properly. Let's go on tour. So. I kind of joined full time uh, in 2006 or 2007. I can't really remember, but uh, and then the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the part I didn't know was that you already had experience experience like integrating guitar into that kind of music. Then, like, it wasn't like going from Nat Natalia's music to this like right away, anything like that. Yeah, uh, well, I'm a metalhead. Uh, yeah. When when I grew up, I just well, metal was the main thing that I liked. You know, I was a big Gary Moore, um, Randy Rhodes, uh, Ingve, Steve Vai, uh, Van Halen. I, I was listening to that music, <laughs> well, uh, kind of all day basically. So even though I did do other things, but that was my main thing. So so metal for me came quite easy. So. Um, 
and and I, I think I was the first person to put heavy mu- heavy guitar on a drum drum and bass track. So that was back in '99. So it's uh, it, it kind of developed and blossomed from there, really. So yeah, yeah, the whole the whole rock aspect with the drum and bass is, is, is quite like quite a natural move for me. Yeah, I think like some people don't hear it because they hear Pendulum as a drum and bass band, but actually some of the guitar stuff that you're doing on that is full on hard rock and metal, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's only hard rock and metal. <laughs> but the because uh, um, we we as a band are very very lucky that we've crossed over from dif- uh, with, with different audiences. So um, so when I first joined the band, we were basically playing drum and bass to drum and bass audiences and then we got asked to do um download festival which is the main metal festival in um in the uk um and we got asked to play that in 2008 i think it was and we said yeah so, and and it just went down the storm <laughs> then we found out found out that the, the, the metal audience loved it as well as as a drum and bass audience and and the electronic music audience and then you know we started playing pop festivals you know any type of festival that would have us we, we would play and people would abs- absolutely love it you know because it's quite en- it's it's good festival music you know it's uh, quite energetic and people love to jump up and down to it so yeah but yeah. The, it's it was that first uh, download festival that we did and that's when we realized it was like Oh wow! Oh, funny enough, we went on after Ace Freely. Ace Fre- we played on the second <laughs> stage, and uh, I saw Ace Freely walking down the stairs. Uh, but when I was backstage, I was like, "Oh my God, it's Ace Freely!" <laughs> God, <laughs> that's, that's quite a pleasant shock. And then, um, yeah, so it was because Download Festival's got this um, reputation of um, if they don't like you, or even sometimes if they do like you, they they pee in a bottle and they chuck the bottle up on stage. You know? It's it's yeah. like a tradition. And uh, so guys knew about this. So we had, well, I've had a bit of a huddle before going on stage. And was, we had a chat and said, right, worst case scenario, somebody chucks a bottle of piss at you, it lands on your face, some piss goes in your mouth. What are you going to do? You're going to walk off stage or are you going to carry on with a gig? Everybody said, carry on. He said, great let's do it so so we went on stage no bottles of piss thankfully but it was like, <laughs> uh, uh, looking at it was, it was weird it was, it was seeing i think biffy clyro were on the main stage just before us so they just finished so we were getting all their crowd as, as well because uh, we were both being played on on the radio at the same time on the main radio station in the uk so um so we, we were kind of popular acts so so to say so they'd finished and we got their crowd as well so we had about 40,000 people watching us and at one point I counted about nine different circle pits I was like all right okay this is this will work <laughs> and that, that that's when we realized oh my god this crossover is happening you know it's it's nothing that's nothing that you can plan that just happens and we were you know we were very grateful and thankful for that you know it's like n- that doesn't happen you know a lot you know too many bands so we, we were you know quite pleasantly surprised to tell you the truth it's it's good music to yeah, circle yeah. pit you i'd say <laughs> yes <laughs> there's the energy that's all you need yeah. i think yeah yeah but but it is like it's it's so totally different to what you would expect from download that 
it's actually amazing that you didn't get the piss bottles. Like I used to do <laughs> Reading Festival as a as a punter when I was a kid. Like I think my first one was 2000 or 2001 when I was 15 or 16 or summer. And I remember there was uh, Good Charlotte were just getting yeah. big, very famous pop punk band, and they got the yeah. piss bottle treatment. Yeah. And there was also, um, that was the year that Eminem headlined it. So he was pretty much the first hip hop rap guy to headline Reading, I think. And yeah. there was this girl band, a duo called Daphne and Celeste. I was there. I saw that. Eminem fact. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I was, I was right down that, the front yeah. for them because yeah. I think someone like, I don't know, some indie band that I like, like the Blue Tones or something was coming yeah. up afterwards or whatever. And <laughs> Daphne and Celeste came on and they did about three songs and it rained with yeah. bottles of piss Whoa. and bags of more I solid mean, got, stuff. And, and they were so great how they handled it. But after oh, three they, they were songs, brilliant. they had to go. You know, I, I was there watching it and going, oh my God, I'm glad I'm not on that stage. But I was there watching it going, these good, there, they, they handled it perfectly. They were like, it was amazing, care. yeah. It's yeah. like the same attitude that we had. You know, if, it, if a piss lands in your face, goes in your mouth, you've got to carry on. Of course you are. Because you're <laughs> professionals. You know, that's what happens. You know, it doesn't matter what happens on stage, you stay on stage. You're getting paid to do half an hour, 45 minutes, whatever. You know, and you just stay yeah. on stage because you know that somebody in the audience will like it. And, you know, uh, and yeah, it was, yeah, that was pretty horrible for them. I remember that quite a lot. But uh, yeah, it's. Um, Yes, yeah, just staying on stage, you know, because people will admire you more if, you know, if you do stay on, you know, like you just said, you know, everybody. Just they got a lot actually, of respect, I think, for dealing yeah, with it so well. Absolutely. Yeah, Vlad, if you type it into YouTube, Vlad, Daphne and Celeste Reading Festival and just watch the, <laughs> yeah, yeah this, it, it raining <laughs> bottles filled with urine as yeah. people, um, yeah. I, I think everyone enjoyed it too, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they, they had you know really, really catchy tunes. You know, they played a lot on the radio. They were very yeah. They were, they were another one of those poppy, punky type of things. You know, a uh, little bit left field, but um, but they they were thought of as a pop act. You know, Reading Festival's totally changed now. You will have uh, a Dua Lipa headlining. Uh, you know, back then it was more of a rock festival, but now you, you will ha you'd have a pop band headlining in Reading Festival. It's not, not as much a rock festival as it used to be. Well, it used to be a heavy metal uh, festival back in the 70s and the 80s. But yeah, it was like jazz and then metal and now yeah. a bit Jazz and blues. Right? That was, it was the Reading yeah. Jazz and Blues Festival. We were jazz and blues <laughs> being in the 70s, then heavy metal kind of in the mid-70s. And then it, I think it changed to more indie around, around the, the mid-80s. You know, it's, it's, it's seemed self-grow over the years. <laughs> yeah. How many times have you played Reading and Leeds? Three times. Just just, just with Pendulum. Because I used to go there anyway as a punter. Because um, uh, it's really close to London. And you know, I, was, I, still, yeah. I, I still love the bands. And uh, yeah, I used to go camp there for the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Because it's, it's, you know, you we saw some great gigs there you know, over the years. It's, uh, yeah. It was just a lot of fun. I remember watching Underworld there back in nine, uh, was it in the late nineties? And um, Rage Against the Machine were really good. You know, just all, yeah, all that was two thousand. That would have been my first yeah. one. I think like Run yeah. DMC played that year yeah. as well, and that was like for me, yeah. it's like an indie sort of rock kid. It yeah. totally sort of broadens your horizons as a music fan. Yeah, and, and then uh, f f later on in the two thousands. 
uh, Metallica played and Iron Maiden played, so he went back kind of to his metal roots for a little <laughs> bit. So it's um, yeah, so it, it was great to see him there. Those bands there, but you uh, going back to you know, Prodigy played there. Uh, so, sort of kind of goes back to the whole download thing. Prodigy kind of set the way for us really because they headlined Download Festival a couple of years before we did it, and yeah. so because yeah, they're very heavy band you know it's, it's totally electronic but a very heavy band and the fact that they did it sort of uh, meant that we could do it as well you know so it's the whole crossover thing so we kind of uh, went down the same kind of route as as prodigy did yeah and i mean uh prodigy was one of those bands like i grew up like with all of my friends were into metal pretty much and i was too and prodigy prodigy was like the first band we listened to that wasn't like like metal in the traditional sense but this yeah i have to agree there's something similar to that and uh what i wanted to ask is like the first album you put out with pendulum i think that went pretty big right away because you said what 2004 5 6 uh i actually like talked to my wife hey i'm going to have a chat with perry this week and she was like oh yeah 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 pendulum was a big thing like for both of us when we were what 15 years young of working mm -hmm. on summer jobs at like graveyards and you have a lot of time to listen to radio and pendulum yeah. was so big in like the finnish kind of youth radio if you will like you guys were on like daily a couple of times during the work day at least yeah finland's always been a big market for us yeah the gigs and festivals that we do it do that are always crazy um yeah because that first album it was uh, it's called hold your color and it was that was more of a it was more, well, I wouldn't say traditional drum and bass, but more drum and bass as you did, as you would imagine it. Yeah. And then um, the, because I did that, then I forgot about it. Then about a year down the line after it was released, I, I, I didn't even get a copy. Um, from a friend of mine said, oh, you know the album that you played on with that band Pendulum? I said, yeah. <laughs> it sold 400,000 copies. I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> really? my god <laughs> and uh yeah it was it's just one of those things you know it just went you know it was it was a totally underground record that first album um some of the big uh radio stations played a couple of songs here and there but it's um it was it was an underground movement that um and you know um, some rock rock fans got involved back then but it was mainly an electronic music thing it's uh yeah god that was 17 years ago now jesus <laughs> <laughs> my god getting old yep <laughs> and with pendulum you're you're a full-time member and you're also there involved in the creative process right so songwriting is a thing that you also do uh, it's Rob, uh, the singer, does most of the songwriting, but I've, I've, I, I am involved sometimes. But uh, yeah, but I, it's it's a recording aspect thing that I'm mainly involved in. So it's uh, um, and it's not always electric as well. You know, this latest, the latest tunes that we we're releasing, um, there's a lot of acousticy stuff on it, like twelve string and. Um, I've just bought a bazooki, so uh, I'm hope, hoping I'm going to get some bazooki on it. It's uh, I've got this Dobro on it already. I've got a lovely 1931 Dobro, 
Uh, so you've got 1931 Dobro on some of the tracks, you know. It's, it's, uh, um, so there's some acoustic vibes on it uh, from me. So it's, uh, yeah. yeah. I've, I've got a mandolin as well. I'm not sure if I can get a mandolin on it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's, yeah, the recording process is great because um, adding an analog instrument like a guitar onto electronic music is, um, uh, is great fun. Because you know, not many people do it. You know, it's, it, it, electronic music—it's out of its infancy now. But you know, that whole bringing guitar and other instruments in it—you know—sometimes it, it works, sometimes it doesn't. And luckily with us, it does work. So it's—it's um, uh, it's, it's the way that you place the guitar into music like that is is the importance. It's, it's a lot lot to do with EQ, you know, because because um, you're battling with the bass. So, you know, with electronic music, there's a lot of bass and sub-bass in it. So, all that gets gets cut, get cuts out, cut out on the guitar sound. But it doesn't sound like it because you still got that whacking sub-bass in the bottom. So it sounds like proper chunky guitars. You know, but it, it the way that it's mixed in is that Rob, uh, the main uh, the singer, the main guy from Pendulum, um, yeah, it's, uh, he's a bit of a genius when it comes to that. <laughs> How do you record your guitars? Are you always in the studio with the guys, or are you working remotely? I also been um, before Corona. I uh, even before uh, Corona, I, we did some r remote stuff because um, at the uh, end of record, well, well, we were mixing songs like uh, 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 the second album was called In Silico, and it was bang in the middle of mixing, and then there's a couple of new tracks that need guitar on, so Rob would be mixing. His, in, in his studio while I'd be recording the guitars for it so on a guitar uh, for a guitar part for a certain song he'd be mixing it and said like I need, need guitars on this section this section I want want you to do this that, that. so I'll be at home in my studio recording the guitar and then uh, back this is because he lived quite close to me so I, I just burned it onto a CD or a DVD and just just pop it. He lived well, we lived about two minutes away from each other back then, so I'd, I'd just give him a CD and then go back home, do some more. He'd take the uh, the, the WAV files, put them into um, into his project session in in the studio. So, so th there, there was a lot of um, uh, remote stuff back, you know, about 13 years ago when we were recording that, but um, all this stuff, um, I've been doing in in the studio so um we had quite kind of a bubble because we did um a live stream thing um as well last year so because we were in a bit of a bubble so as well as doing that i'd be recording stuff in the studio so um so yeah but because the studio we've got now is is proper state-of-the-art stuff it's you know it's, it's an amazing place to work in it's an amazing space so it's, it's really cool working there because rob's got you know all these well, i don't know exactly he's got so many api channels of api and <laughs> uh, he's got some very very cool mics and very very cool preamps you know it's uh it's it's great to work there because <laughs> <laughs> he's such a good engineer well you know he's a producer and he's such a good engineer the sounds that he get the sound that we the acoustic sounds that we got was, uh, i was very pleased with um he uh i think on, on one of the tracks we had like f five different microphones um <laughs> on the acoustic and it just sounded amazing you know he's a bit of a wizard like that 
<laughs> so uh, that's kind of a question that I actually wanted to ask. Like, uh, if we talk about gear, like obviously, like I think it's obvious that your gear choices are very different for Pendulum and then Natalia and whatever else you've been doing. But like, what are you using for Pendulum stuff? Because I, I know live you use Helix and then some other amps and stuff like that. But uh, for example, when you go to a studio with Pendulum, what do you use? Um, at the minute, it's just the Helix because it's it's easier. Because sure. um, it's uh, we might bring in um, some amplifiers, but it's just so easy. I can, I can dial up a tone here and then just you know, the Helix is like is like that big, yeah. and it goes in, into a backpack, and I just take it to the studio and, and DI straight into the uh, into the desk. Um, so that's how, how we've been we've been doing this stuff. But you know, technology's changed since uh, uh, the Natalie and Brulia days. You know, Natalie and Brulia, I was running pedals, individual stomp boxes, into an orange amp, and then uh, in two thousand and one, I started using um, Hughes and Kettner amps. So I had, I had a duo tone, and um, but the way technology's changed over the last well, just during the pendulum time. So I'd. Uh, with Pendulum, I'd run into um, who's getting a triamp, um, and I was using a TC electronic um, uh, G system, which is amazing. And then I'd have stomp boxes in the um, in the effects loops of that, so running directly into the um, into a triamp. But then the signal will be split, and it'd be it'll go into um, uh, what was called a Muse receptor. So a Muse receptor was a rack mount PC, more or less. I think it ran on Linux, so, but it could um, it could run things like Amplitude and um, uh, oh, what's the native instruments one? The guitar rig. So so it could run that natively. So I'd, my signal was split one into the amp. So 100 watt amp with two four by twelves, and the other signal then was uh, yeah it's ridiculous, and <laughs> and uh, the other signal would go into the receptor. So we we're all on in ears. So I have the amplifier bang in the middle mono, and the, then the receptor, so the amplitude or um, or guitar rig would be stereo. So mono it's, it's kind of a wet dry wet thing, but it was um, so the amplitude would be left and right. So it's, it's it was this massive sound, so you, you could imagine more synthetic amplitude sounds on either side with this, you know, with this very very heavy um, hundred watt amplifier bang in the middle, you know, with some amazing distortion sounds. But that rig weighed so much. Yeah, I was just about uh, to it was, say it was about five hundred kilos in total with with all the bit because I'd um, I had. Because uh, wow. there's quite a few guitar changes in there because of different tunings, um, and so I think I had about four or five different guitars, and each one of those guitars had to have a backup, obviously, just in case. You know, uh, so we had this big, um, well, massive uh, vault. We call it a vault. Uh, that you know. It's a big guitar case that you open up. You must see them on. Um, you, everybody's probably seen them on on um, rig rundowns. Yeah. You know, where they open up the case and there's just like 
rows of guitars. Well, I, I had one of those, and the bass, uh, Gareth, our bass player, had one as well. So it's you know just loads of guitars, and uh, yeah, and that rig weighed about five hundred kilos. And now, um, the last the last show we did with Pendulum. Um, so instead of the Receptor, I'm using um, a Line Six Helix, and then it's still still kind of split. It goes into um, a Houston Kettner Grandmeister, um, but that that weighs eight kilos itself. You know, it's just nothing. <laughs> so um, I'm, I, I st- still use the same um, uh, uh, thing in 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 practice. It's the same as the old rig, but it's a lot smaller. And this rig weighs. I, I use a um, Digitech drop as well. So with all the different tunings. Uh, and ah, for the tuning nice. up, I, I I use something called a capo. <laughs> I stick a capo on the guitar. So instead of getting a guitar, so my main tuning is uh, is E flat. Okay, so uh, E flat standard. So uh, so I had guitars in E flat. I I won in a drop tuning, and uh, half half the gig was done on an E flat standard. Half the gig was done on, on a D standard, and then a few songs were done in E standard. So. That's why I had so many guitars, but now I use a Digitech drop, so I'm still an E flat standard. And when I want to go down to a D, I just put a semitone semitone down on the on the Digitech drop. And I want to want to play in E, I just use a capo. <laughs> it's easy. So I, now I just take t- two ga- two guitars on on stage with me, and I've got one of those um, Scott Dixon um, cases, you know. And I can we, we can do fly gigs now. We couldn't beforehand. Now everything fits in the holes, you know. Everything's light enough. So that's how technology's changed since um, the Pendulum second album, which was released in two thousand and nine, until now. So twelve years ago, it's got my rigs gone from five hundred kilos to about thirty <laughs> kilos. That's the difference. That's uh, technology. For I, you. I mean, that's that's awesome. That saves you guys money, and also it's way more environmental friendly. So. Big win Absolutely, yeah. For everyone, and I'm definitely going to use this clip for like. Uh, there's a whole debate, especially like I, I play at churches, and like especially in US, church musicians have this thing like, oh, if you're using a capo, you're cheating. It means that you don't know your chord inversion stuff like that. <laughs> so I'm going to use this clip as a proof, like, okay, if Perry can use it on Pendulum, I'm more than happy to use the capo, even like, no matter what you say. So yeah, <laughs> good. Yeah. Um, Playing with the capos is a no-brainer. You know, sure. it's like, for for example, you're playing a song in F major, right? It doesn't sound right because you're you're, you're barring the chords, and the, and the chord itself sounds a lot duller. Yeah. So you're barring. So you've only got three these three fingers to play with. Stick a capo on it. You've got four fingers to play with, and you've got open strings as well. So it it's a no-brainer. <laughs> capos are great. Yeah. It, <laughs> It, it, why make some? Why make a job more difficult for yourself? You know, it's yeah. it's been invented to help you out. These these things are amazing, you know. <laughs> I use them all the time. Captain Crowd is bringing you all the capo info you need. Yeah, use a capo, guys. Use a capo. <laughs> yeah, some people are snobs about pedals like the Drop as well. For some yeah. reason. They say you do need to have separate guitars to do it, but you can't trust, you know, a digital pedal. What about the latency? What if it fails? Blah blah blah. It, it's never failed. It's you know, digital pedals are usually more reliable than, than analog pedals. You know, it's uh, 
um, yeah, there's a little bit of latency, but your brain compensates for that, you know. And yeah. um, I probably won't. Well, I, well actually, I've said I won't record with it, but I have. I've recorded <laughs> it with this as well, and it's fine. It's uh, um, but mainly heavy sounds, you know, um, clean sounds. It's one or two artifacts here and there, but um, uh, so I've even used it in the studio. But you know, live, you know, the difference. Uh, you know, if if you were <laughs> difference with taking two guitars rather rather than four, you know, that's a big difference. You, you know, four guitars is a pain in the ass. It's a pain in the ass for you, uh, uh, especially if you haven't get, got a guitar tech. You know, uh, getting a guitar, swapping guitar if it, if you haven't got guitar tech, and then finding out that it's out of tune, and it's like, oh damn. I wish I had. A, you'd think to yourself, I wish I had a Digitech drop. The other guitar was in tune. That would have worked, you know. Oh, I wish I just used my capo, you know. <laughs> it's it's about making life easier. Yes, there is latency, but it's it's very very minimal, and your and your brain compensates for that. You you use you play slightly ahead of the beat. Well, that's what I do anyway. When when that's that pedal's engaged, but latency is like something like thirty. Not even if it's if it is thirty milliseconds, so you can't really notice it um, when you're playing. But um, yeah, because your brain compensates for that fact. Yeah, it's actually surprising. Don't be how snobs. Sorry? Don't be snobs, people. Yeah, Don't be snobs, people. Exactly. <laughs> it's actually make life easier for yourselves. Make life easy. Life a lot easier for yourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like it's it's actually kind of crazy how much your brain can compensate. Like sometimes I like demo some budget friendly product and like you try recording with it and like there's a lot of latency. But it's surprising like how much your brain can kind of take before it actually becomes an issue. So, yeah. Yeah, um I mean, like I said, I'm like I've got quite a few guitars here. I've got one I've got a few on in concert pitch, one few in E flat, and what few in D. You know, um, so at home I will just swap sure. guitars, and um, but you know, live, it's like it, it's nobody, nobody's gonna go. You were playing a digital drop on that song, weren't you? I could hear artifacts. <laughs> They're not gonna hear artifacts when it's coming through. Well, you know, if they're standing next to the amp, they wouldn't hear the bloody artifacts. It's. Uh, it's when stuff comes through the PA, you're not going to notice it at all. You know, people are going to go, mm. it's like, oh, you're not using a dumbbell. Yeah. <laughs> you know, honestly, to tell you the truth, you will be tell in a big gig in a big arena. If if John Mayer used a dumbbell or if he used a, a Marshall JCM 2000, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference, you know, with a PA in a room that big, you know, it's um, or even a JC120, you know, because rooms that big you just can't tell the difference <laughs> it's what you hear you know he's probably hearing it in, in that type of situation you know um what, what he is he hears on stage is important but you know for the for the person out in the audience <clears throat> the, the, you know in the pas with the pa system that big you won't be able to tell the difference really so it's a, so if, if it works on stage for you just well why not just just use it, you know. It's there. It's there to help you. you know, these things. <laughs> how loud is it on stage with pendulum? Like, how loud Ve do you run your rig? Very quiet. Yeah. My because it's more or less a quiet stage. <clears throat> Excuse me. The, um, I have a two by twelve on stage, just to get feedback. So if, if I want some feedback, I just move closer towards the amp. 
because um, everything is DI'd. So um, the Houston Kepner's DI'd into and and the um, uh, Helix is DI'd as well. So uh, you know, the Houston the Grandmaster's got um, a red box output, so and that goes directly to the desks. So um, everything is DI'd. So on stage, it's pretty quiet. You know, um, the drums we've been using. Um, more electronic pads. Uh, uh, well, I wouldn't say recently because we, we haven't done anything recently <laughs> um, uh, because of COVID. But um, but there's be, uh, so on stage there'd be a lot of electronic pads. So you know you hit an electronic pad, you can't hear it. You know, so so it's mainly noise com coming out uh, front of house. You hear that coming back because that's that's pretty loud. But on stage, it's it's pretty quiet because we're all on in ears, and um, yeah. Apart from uh, acoustic kick, acoustic snare, maybe sometimes a couple of toms or stuff. Um, Gareth, the bass player, has got an Ampeg um, four by eight by ten sometimes, but he's DI'd as well, so it's um, so he uses uh, the the Ampeg just to get a little bit more grunt. Yeah, uh, on stage, but you know that that's not running loud at all. So um, yeah, so it's a relatively quiet stage, uh, which helps uh, the front of house engineer so much. You know, it's very very important. You know, because yeah, because there's nothing worse than you know a guitar screaming down the singer's microphone. You know, that's hell for front of a front of house engineer. So we thought. Yeah, so just make make it easy on it. It'll sound better if we're quiet on stage. You know, it'll sound better front of house than if when we're quiet on stage. You know, because you can see we get the bot. There's quite a lot of bot men front of house, so we get that back anyway. Get back that back on stage, and and we, we get to mix. The mix is the same every night in our in years because of digital desks and so on. And you know, we spent quite a while getting our mix right. So once that mix right, you know, it's it sounds brilliant. You know, it's like you're in audiophile heaven, you know, because you know, the way we've set everything up, you know, it's um, so it sounds better for us in the in ears, and it sounds way better for us uh, for the for the audience front of house as well. Yeah, I was going to say the other thing about DIing as well for you as a guitar player, Perry, is that you're not messing around with microphones or anything like that. So your sound is also one hundred percent consistent from night to night as well yeah we did use um uh, microphones but the problem was it was mainly a problem with the sub bass um coming from the pa so that that thing vibrates the stage you know yeah so if you're so a microphone stand you know, we we had microphone stands. It would move away from the amplifier. <laughs> just, boom, 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 boom. Um, so so we clamped it on to the um on to the speaker itself, but you know, we found out it is way easier um, to just to DI it um, because it fits better in the mix. If you're doing with, uh, if you're doing electronic music, the less air that you have between uh, your guitar and and the way it's being recorded, or the way it's being mixed, or whatever, the, the better we found. So it's uh, it goes in, and um, it, it's 
because everything else electronic is DI'd as well. And when a, a, if you're using a DI'd guitar compared to a mic'd up guitar, it somehow fits in the mix a lot better and it's easier to mix. So, yeah. um, so you, you're using a lot less of the microphone's characteristics. So you don't have to deal with any any of that, you know, apart from when it's modelled. It's but it, we found that it just works better that way. You know, I've got a, a lovely selection of microphones, you know, but um, it's uh, yeah, it's but we find that DI is better. If I'm not if I'm not doing electronic music, then mic'd up all the way. But um, yeah, but with Pendulum, we DI. Okay. Talking about if you were your own artist, if you were releasing records on your own or putting a band together, what would it sound like? Um, <laughs> God. Probably some sort of ambient stuff. I just love ambient music, so there's probably something like that. Something chilled. It's With bits of electronics, well, lots of electronics. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Ambienty, post-rocky type of vibe, N not shreddy at all. Of um, I just I just like chilled out ambient music. You know? <laughs> it's uh, yeah, I, I like using like like I mentioned, I got the bazooki um, folk type of instrument as well, you know, just to get that different flavour. Uh, yeah, something ambienty, <laughs> but it's not. It's being a solo artist. I, I've just never something. I've ever wanted to be you know I, I just like playing in bands you know I, I, I'm not sure if I've got anything to say <laughs> musically I don't know <laughs> I've done a few things but you know I, I I prefer playing in a band situation than than doing stuff myself yeah so what bands do you listen to in your off time I don't listen to any music hardly any music at all because because that's okay. my job yeah so because um, I um I don't know if it, the word blessed is... It, no, it's not the right word. Um, when I hear music, um, it, it, it's, it's a syndrome. I can't remember the name of it. But when I hear a song, that it's a ear, an earworm for me. And if I hear, hear a song a few times, it, it's always in my head. I'm always hearing it. I don't know what the... Um, I can't remember the name of the syndrome, but... Um, so I've got music in my head all the time, and the, and the only way I can switch that off is to like watch TV or something like that. I can't even yeah. read a book because I've got a bloody song going on in my head all, all the time. It's um, so, and because I do music as as a job, um, for me, not listening to music is better. I, I listen to things here and there, but you know, for my own sanity, I don't listen to uh, to a lot of music. You know. I've, I have listened to a lot of music over the years, but it's, um, you know, I, 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 probably that's why I like listen to ambient chill out music a little bit more than, you know, heavy music. You know, I used to listen to a lot of heavy stuff when I was younger, but um, it's, I think it's for that reason. I'd rather have something nice and relaxing going around in my head than something going, <laughs> so it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a weird thing. I, I, I've been asked this before, and uh, but yeah, it is uh, because there's always music going round around my head, <laughs> and and sometimes <laughs> it's a total pain in the ass. 
I, I, I can totally relate to that because like uh, especially like over the past year I've been doing more and more like here in the studio and like today before we are having this recording session here like I was editing vocals for an hour and a half and like my brain just overloads because I yeah. like when I hear music my brain like dissects every single yeah. freaking detail and like mm. it's like it's fun to listen to music but I really listen to it just because it's fun <laughs> kind of yeah well right, that's what's going on in my head yeah. right now okay uh, um, about half an hour ago we were talking about capos and the song that we were playing that we play in E Standard and I suddenly thought of that song and it's been in my head since then going round and round and round in my head <laughs> since I just spoke about it that that's how yep. my brain works it's like yep. dun, 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 it's like oh fucking hell it's um it's that's how bad it gets in my brain so it's like and I sp it's been playing constantly for about half an hour since I just thought about the song it's uh, yeah my, my brain is strange <laughs> yeah I'm not at that level yet at least but I, I, I'm afraid that that's where like it's going uh Anytime I go for a walk we, or we take a long drive, I just listen to podcasts because it's completely different yeah. to music. And yeah. yeah, I do exactly the same. Uh, mostly I listen to podcasts now. Yeah. But uh, even with some of the um, uh, even the th theme tunes from the podcast, sometimes <laughs> that will be going round and round in my head constantly as well. But oh, uh, and um, so uh, I became a dad but, uh, three and a half years ago and... Uh, so the worst thing about this thing that I've got is uh, so playing nursery rhymes to my son. So <laughs> you play, so you'll have a nursery rhyme going round in your head. Uh, th there was one song; it just went round round my head for three days solid. It just wouldn't leave my head. So sometimes I can't even sleep because yeah. I've, I've got wow. the song going round in my head. Whoa, yeah, whoa, it's whoa. like it's uh, it's. Is sometimes very, very debilitating. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so when you've got a nursery rhyme going ding a ding a ding a ding, and you can't get it out, you know. Yeah. But a pod podcast does help because it does take your brain away from yeah, a, a, whatever part of your brain works for yeah. retaining music and uh, memory and stuff like that. So yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it's, it can be a pain sometimes. Yeah, and it's it's something that I'm noticing <laughs> with my daughter as well, like. Uh, I've been recording vocals. I think we recorded vocals for uh, an EP I'm like partially producing, and she heard me in the other room sing that thing for like 30 minutes or so. And when I came back, she knew all the lyrics to the song. She could sing the whole damn song in rhythm, and she's not even three. <laughs> so cool, man. I need That's to learn really to deal cool. with this condition, like how I would deal with it, so I can teach her yeah. that and save her yeah. from the pain. Uh, I mean, the, the one thing with this thing that I've got is I can learn a song really, really quickly, and I can, I can hear melodies, guitar parts, and copy it straight oh, off. That's cool. It's 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 got something to do with that. Um, I should go to a doctor about it, you know, <laughs> just to find out, ex or a psychologist, just to see what the hell's going on. But I, you know, usually um, if I hear a guitar part, you know, sometimes I can hear a song and I can listen to it once, possibly twice, and then play it in its entirety. Um, you know. Maybe not exactly, uh, but you know that that pitch retention memory thing that that 
that's I've kind of got that. So um, so it's helpful in, in some ways, and very helpful in some ways. Sure. It goes back to, to being a session musician as well. You know, um, having that if you're a session musician is very 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 handy indeed. So you know, I can yeah, as I said, I can pick something up very very quickly. Uh, have you been doing a lot of sessions during the COVID time? Because obviously there's no gigs right now, or like maybe things are a little bit opening up, but mostly it's been, you know, shut down. Yeah, uh, I have. Uh, I signed up to this um, at the beginning of lockdown. I signed up to um, a website called Sound Better, and uh, I think it's owned by Spotify. And I just slashed my fees because uh, you know, I'm not going to be touring. Wait, nobody's touring, so. Uh, a slash my fees so anybody can hire me to play guitar on their records. So I've been playing with artists all over the world, which has been really, really cool. You know, so it's it's kind of kept me busy. Yeah, you know, kept my chops up, and mm. uh, you know, some, I've been playing some really, really good tunes and some really, really <laughs> talented artists. So that that's been a lot of fun. So yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's called Sound Better, uh, SoundBetter dot com, I think it is. And uh, so I've been doing a lot of work with them and have been doing uh, done, I still do music for TV shows as well um, like w one thing that I do is um, me and a pr another producer friend of mine who lives in LA we do music for um, you know like for singing competitions on TV you know we've been doing that on and off for about 15 years or so so it's uh, so we do the backing tracks for that so we, we listen to it because um, it's always what happens when I'm not on tour. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, you've got to do something to keep yourself busy, right? But it's it's really cool, right? It's it's like so, you, and it's very very good for um, for production skills. You, you listen to the song, and then you probably need to do it in a different key, um, and then you uh, the arrangement will be different because you know they, they cut the songs down really 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 short for those types of programs, and um, we then make it sound as uh, close to the original as possible. So it's we go into forensic detail you know, to make uh, these t sounds songs sound original and uh, like the original. Sorry, and uh, yes, yeah, so, so that's what I do when I'm not on tour. So it's uh, yeah, so it's l l TV work like that, doing uh, TV theme tunes. You know, it's it's, uh, it's it's a lot of fun and that's quite gratifying as well. You know. Yeah, I guess that kind of work didn't really stop after Corona. You could carry on doing that kind of stuff, right? Uh, it kind of slowed down a bit because uh, you know a lot of you know the TV industry was was affected in the same as way as possible. You know, with uh, yeah. when you, when you got shows like that, you know, entertainment shows, you know, you couldn't get a load of people in, into a room together. Um, it's changed a little bit now but you know a lot of, of productions actually just stopped um uh back in march last year because of it um so yeah it, it did affect it um i think it's just starting up again now you know because uh, some programs did carry on but it, it, the production costs is usually they usually doubled um when you bring the whole covid thing in because uh different uh, TV shows, they'd have to hire a hotel and have ah. everybody, like the uh, presenters, the crew, everybody on, in a quarantine in a hotel for for like two months. So just stuff like that, and everybody get gets tested all the time. You know, it's like 
um, yeah, it kind of doubles the production uh, cost of the TV show. So, yeah, so instead of doing that, <laughs> they found cheaper ways of making TV programs and, uh, yeah, so, or, or, or showed repeats. <laughs> so, but it's, it's getting back back then, which was quite nice. And what about Pendulum? When do you... Well, there's already gigs starting to happen, like in America, things are happening. In Australia and New Zealand, I think people are playing again. But when when do you imagine you guys will be back out on the road doing stuff? As a live band, I'm not sure. We were supposed to be doing... Uh, we did a thing, the live stream thing that I mentioned earlier, um, back in September, October. Uh, we did a thing live from a place called Spitbank Fort, which is a fort bang in the middle of the, of the sea. Uh, if, you, uh, if you know where... Portsmouth is in in the south of England. Um, uh, we did a gig from the middle of the sea, and that was a more of a hybrid gig. It was myself on guitar, Gareth was on, on the decks, and Rob was singing. So it was a, ha, singing live vocals. So it was half um, uh, half DJ, half live. But um, we were supposed to be doing some of those this summer, but they, those gigs were cancelled. Uh, there was one in Finland and one in Czechia. And now we've got, um, towards the end of the summer, there's some DJ gigs happening, mainly in the UK. But, um, yeah, it's at the moment, they're still happening. So, uh, so they, but they, they're just DJ shows. But So I, I'm not involved in that. I don't think, uh, if I ever did a DJ, DJ show, I'll <laughs> I just bring my Rush CDs, and I don't think the Pendulum audience <laughs> would, would like Rush that, that much. Yeah. <laughs> you, you just get two hours of me playing La Villa Strangiato and stuff. But, um, yeah. hey, listen to this one, kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but, um, yeah, it's, um, yeah, but as far as, Live shows, we're not sure yet, you know, obviously, because to have a gig in in a theatre or even in an arena, you know, everybody needs to be vaccinated, basically. You know, so I'm lucky I've had, I'm fully vaccinated now. But, um, you, know, you know, if you're, well, here in the UK, we're, there's quite a lot of people uh, vaccinated here, but it's still... I don't think hardly anybody under thirty is vaccinated at all yet. You know? Yeah. Um, it's until everybody's vaccinated, then you know that it's going to be safe. You know, and uh, I suppose we'll have to, you know, for those big, well, for those for touring to happen again. I think uh, festivals should be okay. You know, if, if there's there's a test event, download are doing a test event. Um, next week i think it is so there's there's a test event next week with um it's it's a scaled down download festival it's ten thousand people uh capacity audience so um everybody's kind of looking at that to see how successful that is and see if it can yeah. work so um yeah so everybody's waiting with bated breath really but uh, nearly all the the pendulum shows, the DJ shows are are, are outdoor uh, towards the end of uh, of the summer, and more people will be vaccinated by then. So uh, yeah, just touch wood really, and keep my fingers crossed because it would be really, really, really nice to do a gig again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I really miss being on stage, you know. So I did, didn't re- you know when you're doing it, yeah whatever type of gig that you do you, you don't think about it you know and when that stops you think shit because <laughs> that, that's part of, you, you know when you're a musician that's part of your life you know so 
being on stage is part of you, isn't it? It's part of you, you, yourself, part of your psyche. And when that's taken away, it's like it's like missing one big part of your of your life. So I'm really, really looking forward to doing a gig again. Yeah, uh, you also mentioned very briefly about an hour ago that you you cycle a lot between gigs, and that's obviously your second career. Vlad, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but I Perry am. Is I, am. A, I wanted well, to ask about a, this as well. <laughs> okay, yeah. So Perry, your your second job is what? What would you call it? Cycling commentator. I mean, yeah. you're a cyclist in your own right, a, a passionate cyclist, but you commentate for is it S4C, the Welsh channel on the big races, yeah. the Gyro. The, the Tour de France, etc. Yeah. How, how um, has that been? I mean, those races are going to happen. It's going to be in June, isn't it? The Tour this year? Yeah, yeah it starts, starts in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I started, because I'm a big cycling fan. So about eight years ago, a friend of mine worked, who works in a production company in Wales asked me if I'd be interested in commentating on cycling in Welsh. And you know, I'd never done any commentary at all. You know, I'd been on tv a few times and talking uh, and uh but i'd never done any sports commentary and so i said yeah of course because yeah, i love cycling and and they they put a pitch together they got the gig and said right we start in Ju- july what are you doing and i said well actually i'm on tour <laughs> so i was f- flitting between uh, uh, com- commentating on the tour de france while being on tours it was uh it's it it quite mental uh, yeah, so I'm I'm a sports commentator, I'm a cycling commentator, and I have been for eight years. So uh, yeah, th- uh, so, so we mainly do the Giro, which is the, the Tour of Italy, Giro d'Italia, and we do the Tour de France, which everybody knows. So the Giro is like the Italian version of, of the Tour, and so we go to. Uh, well, l- last year everything was pushed back towards the end of the year, um, but this year we've just finished the Giro now, and then in a couple of weeks' time we start on the Tour de France. So it's. Um, yeah, because usually we're out there, um, uh, working out there, but obviously because of COVID uh, restrictions, we can't be out there. But um, uh, So we do it remotely from a studio in Wales. Yeah, so ah, right, that would have been that, the question, because I yeah. always liked your Instagram pictures, the selfies from the finish yeah. line and stuff like that. Yeah, so d- main thing is just going to the finish line, <laughs> doing the horns. <laughs> Sticking my yeah, tongue yeah. up and doing a selfie so in, in front of the finishing line, uh, but yeah, uh, sadly didn't get to do that this year. Um, it, uh, might get to do it this year. We don't know yet. It's all, if if uh, Geraint Thomas, the Welsh guy, does well, we, we might go out there. But uh, at the minute, it, yeah, it's it's all going to be in Wales. So yeah, remote uh, cycle commentary from Wales. <laughs> it's, but, so this 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 started eight years ago. So. Uh, if you'd have asked me eight and a half years ago, uh, or told me eight and a half years ago that I'd be a, a cycling commentator, I would have laughed in your face. You know, it's just, just like sometimes I have to. I pinch myself that uh, I get to do it. You know, it's just one of the, another one of these weird things in my life that you know something that you're passionate about that I get to do and I get paid for it. It's just mental, really. You know, yeah, I'm exactly. Just very, very, very lucky. And, and if we'd said to you eight and a half years ago, if you'd then seen a Welshman win that race, I think yeah. you'd have laughed in our faces as well, right? Because Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, yeah I think no one expected uh, that. Yeah, because um, it's, it's a guy called Geraint Thomas. Uh, 
he was the first Welshman to wear the yellow jersey. The yellow jersey is the leader's jersey in the tour. If anybody doesn't know. Uh, first person, first Welsh guy to wear the yellow jersey. That was 2017, and it, that was in Dusseldorf that it, that happened. So, uh, and then the I was there. After, I was there for that. Uh, oh, for cool! The, the yeah. Grand Depart <laughs> for, for the time trial, and then when they left. Yeah, that's yeah, right. It, it started yeah. to rain towards the end of the time trial, and then yeah, yeah. It, it was amazing. There were so many yeah. Welsh people there. Yeah, yeah. I, I was there as well. I was at the finish line going like this. <laughs> yeah, doing yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so so this, that was brilliant, you know, and being there for that, for the, uh, you know, it was a momentous time for Welsh sport and for Wales itself. And then in uh, 2018, he, he actually won the Tour de France. So it was like, uh, and we were there for that as well, you know, that, that was just amazing you know it's, a, it's the biggest um thing in welsh sport ever you know we've seen, seen a welsh guy win the tour de france and it was something that i i never thought i'd see in my lifetime but uh, yeah it happened so it's it was very 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 cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> you got yeah, you like, just got me excited about cycling all of a sudden like <laughs> Vince, it's uh cross-cutting skiing like there was a world championship a few months ago and we were watching like all of them. So yeah, yeah I can relate to that even though I haven't been following cycling ever. <laughs> it's uh, it, in Finland, isn't it? Rally, That's rally, r rally motorsport and javelin for some reason. Why javelin? Don't know. Maybe we used to hunt. Yeah. They used to hunt wolves and stuff in the forests yeah, with yeah, javelins, yeah. maybe. Yeah, the polar yeah. bears that are here. That's how we defend ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, because even in rally, you know, Finns, uh, Finland's guy, Finnish guys are really, really, really talented. Yeah. You know? And uh, and uh, but there's a Welsh guy. You know, it's, 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 we're these small countries, you know. Yeah. We do creep to the to the to the top sometimes. You know? there's, a, there's a Welsh guy up there now called Elvin Evans that he, he's close to winning the world championship. So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. These 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 sports, eh? Sports, yay! <laughs> <laughs> I hope we haven't alienated everyone watching this because in my experience, like not that many guitar players actually like sports. Like I'm a huge sports fan. I love cycling. Mm. I love football. I love NFL. I love a lot of it, to be honest. And I think that yeah. when I start to talk about football specifically, a lot of guitarists switch off straight away. Yeah. So I'm really, oh, really happy to have you on here, Perry, and we can talk about bikes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everybody else has clicked off now, but, but I'm happy. <laughs> but hey, hey, kids guitars yay <laughs> there you go i don't have a bike in here shit <laughs> all my other questions relate to cycling and i think they're not that relevant to our audience unfortunately <laughs> oh man i remember when we when me and Perry, when we were at the SpiritCon week, ah, you should ask yeah. Perry about SpiritCon, Vlad, about the yeah. the solo that he played on your video. But uh, well, yeah. I'm going to ask you about the guitar solo because, like, first of all, what's your relationship with guitar solos? Love them, hate them, somewhere in between. Somewhere in between. Yeah. Um, there. I mean, playing a solo. It's pointless putting a solo in a song if the song doesn't need it. If you're putting a solo in a song, just for the sake of putting a solo in a song, it's like, right, we need a guitar solo here. It's not needed, you know, it's just like, you know, like everything's been done on guitar now, you, you know, all the flash stuff. It's, um, 
if it needs it, do it. But um, I, I, I like... I like melody now. You know, back back when I was a bit younger, you know, I still love you know all the shred stuff, but and I still lo- love listening to some of it. But it's like, you know, it, it has to mean something now. You yeah. Know, and but yeah, you get some uh, uh, guys like like oh Joss Allen, he's bloody amazing. I'm like he's one of the you know. I just wish he'd you know, he can't play live no weekend, but you know, I'd love to see him go out and do some live stuff you know, just amazing you know i love stuff like that you know but um it's yeah because he's one of the best well i think ever that's ever been with that style and um but yeah personally speaking i'd rather not put a guitar soloing if it doesn't need it and a lot of well i've well, with the sessions i've been doing just recently uh, the solos that i have done they've been way more left of center and kind of not not natural sounding solos if you mean to sound a bit odd if you could bring an aspect of that into the then yeah you know but stuff like blue solos for me that I, I kind of kind of well I, you know joe bonham joe bonham Bonamassi is amazing. I love listening to his stuff, but putting a, a blue scale in a song is just like, mm, yeah, it's just a blue scale in a song. It has to mean something. Yeah? That's what I think about solos. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. But I've been, but I have been getting more into so, into guitar solos just recently over the last year or so since lockdown. I've, yeah, because I've had to do it because people have asked for them. I go, sure. oh, okay, yeah. It's, but we, we, like with Pendulum sometimes it needs a solo but you know it's better right, example with, with pendulum we, we play a lot of the stuff is around around 174 beats per minute mark you know, if i did a shred solo something fast over 175 sometimes it works but if i you know because the drums and everything else is going so quickly if you add another element of playing fast onto a backing track that's already fast it just kind of t- turns into a mess so th- with pendulum long notes sound better you know, just yeah like on, and melodies so because it, it's less of a clutter than you could if you've got a very very busy um well sound stage and, and it's got a lot of that if you're going putting that in into it it, it does tend to sound too busy and uh, it's just using your ears to, to, to know what sounds right and what sounds wrong um so it's if you can I, I like solos that you can sing yeah that's very very important if you can sing a solo go ah, you know, blah blah I, sorry i can't sing <laughs> um <laughs> it's uh, that to me is is my favorite type of guitar solo so uh, something melodic you know it all harks back you know, to the stuff I used to listen to when I was a kid. You know, Gary mm. Moore, you could sing most of his solos. Randy Rhodes, you could sing m- most of his solos. You know, Van Halen, apart from the whittle, 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 uh, you know, apart from the hammering stuff, you can't really sing that unless you're a very talented singer. But um, a lot of his solos were quite lyrical and fluid. You know, it's. it's um, I, I suppose that's why guitarists like that are where they are because. Yeah. They knew how to construct a guitar solo within a song. That's the really important thing: constructing a guitar solo within a song. You know, it's uh, and when that works, then it's perfect. Uh, and uh, yeah, but it's it's 
it is quite a difficult thing to do but it's uh, that's why those guys are <laughs> had that success you know and, yep. and how they're thought of now yeah, uh, but but then again, I do like treading. <laughs> <laughs> so so I've just contradicted exactly. No, no I, like, I, I I do like shredding. It's like, but you know, it's uh, if it fits in the song, perfect. If yeah, it, if it doesn't fit in the song, yeah. but I mean, like, there's so many different levels of shredding as well. In the sense, like, uh, I'm as you, I approach uh, like I love the solos where I can like almost sing to them and like yeah. I sing as well. And I actually like I've noticed that. I usually think of the melody in my head first because, like, my music theory knowledge is okay, but I can do, like, all these scales and all this kind of, like, mm. how it relates to the chord when I sing. And when I translate yeah. that onto guitar, like, that's, I feel like yeah. those are the best solos I've ever done and everything else yeah. is like, yeah, Yeah, because um, with me, because this is my job, uh, playing yep. guitar is my job. Um if I went in, just let's use Natalie Imbruglia for, as um, as an example. If I went in and did his guitar solo in one of her songs and just went, I'd get fired. It's, it's like <laughs> it's like what we were talking about earlier about um, not being a dick. Yeah. So it's it's about knowing what to play and where. So yeah. it's uh, because I my whole career basically has been with commercial music. And so you have to know exactly what to play and when to play it. If I played in a fusion band or in in a progressive metal band, then that that would be totally totally different. But it's just from where where I'm coming from, or where my career's come from. You know, so it's, it's, that's how you know it's going to be different for every other guitarist on the planet. But, but for me personally, uh, because I've come from a, the commercial side of things, uh, my career has been through uh, as from the beginning up until now has been with commercial sounding music, with radio music, stuff that appears on the radio. Um, you have to think about it that way. So it's, yeah. you, um, yes, I, I did learn how to play all that fast stuff, but um, you so soon learn not to play it, if you see what I mean, because it's very, very important. If you're, it all goes back to um, play, what I mentioned earlier about playing with as many people as possible. Play with as many people as possible and know exactly what to play with those people. You know, because if you're doing a country and western or a blues gig or a jazz gig, you know, you have to be malleable and uh, well, even with maybe different with blues gigs or something, but if you're playing stuff with cont contemporary artists, you usually don't get asked to play a solo because right? the, the big joke right is because this, this has been my career now for about well 25 odd years so i make most of my money right playing between there and there this bit for those who are listening to the podcast he's putting at like at the nut and between Be like seventh fret so yeah <laughs> between the nut and the seventh fret for like 25 plus years that's where i've made most of my money yeah. from from the seventh fret up until the 24th fret hardly at all you know that, that you know if you want to make a living out of this between fret between the nut and and um and fret seven that's where you're making money and that's <laughs> where you've got to concentrate on um between fret seven and fret 24 yeah it's great if you can do that 
and you know, and I'm I'm lucky. I can't. I, you know, when I was a kid, I used to play for guitar for eight hours a day. That's all I did. Yeah. So it's yeah. So um, but if you want to make a living, be prepared to just the first seven frets. You know, it's like most of the stuff up until now is just there. So yeah, uh, we we call this the uh, right. I'm pointing now for for those of you listening. I'm pl- pointing at the. Um, between fret 19, say, and fret 24 on my PRS, gorgeous PRS guitar. Um, we call that the dusty end. <laughs> it, uh, it's called the dusty end because it gather, gathers dust. You don't get play, asked to play up there all these high, with high notes that, that often. It's the dusty end. So it's, it's a dusty end because you don't play it. Yeah. So that, that, that is another very, very important uh, well, lesson that if people want to go and make a living out of playing guitar and um, in the same kind of area that I have, it's all down there. And it's mainly rhythm. Yep. It's uh, getting your timing right is more important with uh, how fast you can play your notes. Because, um, you know, you'll have to be played. If you can't play in time, you know, that that's a bit of a problem. But um, getting your timing right and be able to play chords and you know, in, inversions and stuff like that. That's the really important bit. You know, yeah, of course, learn how to solo. But if, in my career, it's it's mainly rhythm because that's that's what you get asked to do mo- most of the time. <laughs> cool. Uh, how's it looking? Like, uh, I know, like uh, Brexit is going to bring in some challenges when it comes to touring, and mm, yeah. I, is it still fairly unclear right now? Like, what it's going to be like for you? Oh no, it's it's very clear. It's uh, it's going to cost British musicians a lot of money, and yeah, it's uh, just because you know the whole people voted leave to leave the EU. They didn't realise that every single country in the EU has got its own sovereignty, right? Yeah. So so and now it's like you don't when you want to go and work in the EU, you don't work get a working permit for the eu you have to get a working permit for each individual sovereign country you know it's like this is why we're, i was so vocal about it before the, the vote happened i'm still vocal about it now um yeah so for example if you if you're a british band or if you play with a british artist and you're gonna go do a, a tour of 10 countries say in in the eu uh, you need uh, working permits for every single member of the band and crew, if they're British, have British passports, and for each and every single country. So you need some for France and one for Germany. So uh, and these cost, for example, one of the countries I can't remember. I think it's Spain. It's like sixty pounds or sixty euros, sixty odd euros each. So if you're doing one gig in Madrid, right, and uh, so that means you need if there's a tour bus full of you, so you've got um, five members in a band and say crew and merchandising guy, you know, like a, a normal medium medium sized tour for every single country, you'd have to probably pay about just in visa fees alone about thousand five hundred pounds. You know, it's, yeah, it's. Um, 
and it's different it's, it's less and more for, uh, for each country because all these countries are sovereign uh, they can charge whatever they like because they're sovereign um, and yeah so doing uh, um, and the paperwork involved in that it's the paperwork is so um, so complicated you, you have to do it for one country then do another set of paperwork for another country and so on so on so forth it's, it gets expensive it's time consuming it's um, whereas before we could just swan in to any country in the EU and do a gig, and we can't do that anymore. So it's uh, been uh, it's well the, the one. I mean, it's a horrible thing to say, but the one redeeming feature about COVID is that we haven't had to deal with that yet. But it, once COVID finishes, that's the ex that's the next hurdle with being a professional musician uh, in the UK is to deal with Brexit because uh, it's. Um, because with most musicians the only income stream that you've got is touring you know yeah. if you're in a really big band like Coldplay or if you're Ed Sheeran then you will make some money out of Spotify but most bands don't uh, so the main in income stream for most bands is touring and and the closest place to us to tour as as UK citizens was the EU so yeah. now <laughs> that big market of 27 countries is uh, there's a big barrier there b between us and and them and it's um yeah it's going to be ex very because if i was a manager if i managed a band or managed uh, an artist in the uk the one way that i could save money because uh, as a manager a, a manager wants to make as much money as possible for the artist right uh the one way i could save uh, my artist money uh, so there's more profit at the end of the day at the end of the tour is to hire musicians in the EU and hire crew in the EU so if you've if you've got an EU passport then you're laughing you know uh, there was talk uh, pre-referendum about um, British musicians uh, Br British uh, being, there being a Brexit bonanza for, for Britain if we left the EU, the, uh, the funny thing about this is there will be a Brexit bonanza, but for EU musicians and EU crew, because because if, for example, if I've got um, if me being a manager and my artist, which I'm not a manager and I don't have an artist, but this is a hypothetical question. If if I've got a month tour of um, of the EU, it'd be cheaper for me to go to an EU country, say in Paris, rehearse a band there for a few days, pick up some crew locally, and tour the EU, and definitely in the Schengen area, um, uh, with EU crew and EU musicians. And, yep. and that's the way I see it going. It's, it's a terrible mess. And it's, it's unforgivable, you know. 52% of the British public did this to us, mm. and it's unforgivable. And it's, it's happening with the fishing industry, it's happening with the farming industry. You know, it's like um, people didn't realise, and you know, they were told, but they didn't want to listen to the side that said, this will be bad for Britain. And it's bad, really, really bad for Britain. Uh, for British exports, you know, it's uh, the trade deal that Britain has just done with with Australia. Um, it means that Britain has seven percent more exports into into uh, Australia, and but Australia get to export eighty five percent more stuff into into the UK. So the balance is way off. Yeah. So and and this is the deal that 
the British government are doing with uh, different countries. You know, just just dreadful. So yeah, so Brexit sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately, this also means like, uh, for example, for Finnish bands, it's been a like a huge milestone in, in their career that they get to play one of those big arenas in UK, like O2 Arena or mm. Wembley Stadium, something like that. Very few Finnish bands have been able to do that, and it's like a huge milestone. I think that's going to go away as well, because it's not yeah, because yeah, it, it goes back the other way as well, because um, yeah. it, it's the same for um, EU musicians coming into to the UK. Um, but it's because I, th- I think the EU musicians. It's easy for EU musicians to find another way to do that you know uh, yeah. playing Wembley yeah it's, it's, it's a big thing but you know eventually it'll be uh, the, the, the way it is looking now eventually people forget about Wembley and it'll be playing um, the Stade of France instead or San Siro or Neukamp in in, um, in Barcelona it, a, another venue will take over as yeah. being, you know, over the next few years as being the big place because I'm sure that there's promoters and owners of these uh, big stadiums they're already thinking right um, Wembley's out of the picture now Let, let's um, let's have our stadium as the next Wembley you know uh, uh, yeah th- it's very prestigious to play Wembley but you know I think that would be long forgot uh, soon forgotten uh, so yeah it's it's so brexit sucks <laughs> oh man this is a sad way yeah. to end the episode but unfortunately we have to talk about this like we were riding high and yeah. then we just crashed down at the very <laughs> end but that's how I it is tell so you what you could edit this and stick it in the, big, in the middle or something. <laughs> <laughs> true, yeah. true. But yeah, but it, yeah, you're right. It, it does have to be mentioned because it's uh, the music industry. You know, it's been hit really hard by COVID, and it's going to be hit hard again yeah. by Brexit once uh, the restrictions are lifted. Yeah, very hard. Yeah. Yeah, and just on a personal you know, level, it also sucks because I've been to England a few times. I'd love to visit again, but it suddenly became way more difficult yeah it's it's a pain in the ass I mean, it's, it's um and another you know, it's not just visas it's, it's, uh, we need a carnet now to to go to the uh to the eu so a carnet is a customs form that you have to list all your equipment on so if you've got a truck so if you're uh, a medium-sized band you've got a truck full of um equipment uh, guitar, uh, uh, musical gear lights um pa you know that's so you have to pay a deposit of 30 percent of the cost of all the equipment um as a deposit so it's just a customs thing so that means you you don't sell it in another country that you haven't got a trade deal with uh for profit so that all that stuff goes in all that stuff comes out again so um so so you got it's so imagine there's a hundred thousand pounds worth of gear in your truck so you got you have to pay thirty thousand just as a deposit just to take that for one one show if you're doing one show you have to pay pay a deposit thirty thousand if you've got 30 100 grand worth of uh, equipment in your truck and i mean people say oh yeah you get that 30 grand back yeah but you have to 
uh, pay another deposit the next time you go, etc., etc., etc. So you have to have this thirty percent in de- in somebody's bank account as a deposit for the whole time that you want to tour. Which if is if you're um, a touring band, that's all you do. So you're basically paying thirty grand that you might might never ever see again. You know, if you if you want to want to carry on touring. And yeah, and there's so many other things like that that just makes it very, very restrictive and restricted now for us as British, uh, as UK passport holders to um, to tour in the EU. Yeah, that wasn't the, that was a bit down as well, wasn't it? Guys, <laughs> hey, happy days, <laughs> happy days. <laughs> yeah, there's a chance I'll edit this in the middle somewhere so that's like will we end up <laughs> yeah. on a more positive note but yeah i think it's, it's yeah. one of those things that's important to talk about because like i feel like in Finland, for example we've kind of forgotten the brexit thing already because we're moving yeah. on it's summertime Absolutely. things are opening up yeah. and hmm. it's only until like pe- people will be able to travel they'll they'll probably realize that oh damn it yeah it's yeah it sucks but you know yeah. what can you do yeah <laughs> People, the people here sadly voted for it. So, yeah. and yeah. until there's well, it, um, for anything to change, uh, a lot of these people are going to have to feel uh, tremendous poverty. Yeah, because uh, uh, the fishermen—it's always it's already happened to the fishermen. People are losing their houses and businesses. Um, very soon, it's going to happen to the farmers, and they're going to go. Oh, because the fishermen—they voted uh, as a whole. Most of them voted uh, to leave the EU, Whoa. and you know their main um, uh, market was the EU. So they they basically cut off you know, their own hands, you know, it's, it's uh, or cut off their own nose to spite their face. So they voted for this, and a lot of farmers voted for this as well. So it's um, until they start going, hang on a minute, this is this sucks. Uh, then th- there's no way out of it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so, so depressing. <laughs> uh, uh. Yeah. Hey, one of you got. Well, actually, Vlad, will you will you adopt me? <laughs> <laughs> sure. We. You can like. Here's my drum kit. I think you can stay. Like, yeah. there's a bit of room on the yeah, floor. Yeah, cool. I can actually. Yeah, I might be able to clean up the closet for you. So yeah, yeah you're welcome. Yeah, Rich. I'm assuming you don't have an EU passport. You've still got a British passport. No, I do. I was lucky enough that I'm married into German society. I've been here over yeah. eight years. I have two passports now, so I have a British passport oh, you're and lucky a German th- passport. So okay, you can. Ad- I'm quite lucky. Oh, you can adopt me as well. <laughs> All right, sure. Hey, yeah, uh, it's a 50% chance one of you will adopt me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe people can say in the comments who they'd rather Perry was adopted by, and we can. Uh, yeah. uh, we can get that going. <laughs> Maybe Rich and I in can the do, comments. Yeah, we can do like a shared like, custody thing, like bi-monthly or yeah. something. <laughs> shared <Yeah>. custody. <laughs> yeah. Who will adopt? Well, I, well, the last well, in SpiritCon, I asked Henning uh, to um, uh, <laughs> to adopt me as well. So he said yes. So there's a 33% chance I can get adopted by somebody with an EU passport. One of you two or Henning. <laughs> with Henning, I could actually imagine it happening and he's got so yeah. much space where he lives. You you could just live in his studio. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, I would be I'd adopted have... by Henning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you think I'd have to wear his clothes? Yes. Uh, that's the caveat. Uh, that's all right. That, that, that's all right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, w- I will do that for uh, an EU passport. <laughs> 
man. And yeah. on that note, thank you so much, Perry, for taking the time. This was a lot of fun and a little bit of sadness. Well. <laughs> yeah. mm, all the ups and downs and yeah, yeah thanks for taking the time and as always all the links to Perry's stuff oh, in the oh we, yeah. we we've got a new we've got a record coming out um, oh, on absolutely. the 17th of june uh, we've got an ep called elemental coming out nice. a pendulum that is um nice. yeah on uh, june 17th available in all good record stores and streaming w- w- platforms that's what it's called isn't it yeah i think so yeah <laughs> <laughs> something like that or do you, can you st- no we, we are releasing actual uh hard copy vinyl stuff oh that's cool. Stuff cool. As well. cool so yeah, that's, that's gonna be a collector's item so nice yeah. i like that but yeah thanks for taking yeah. the time and yeah links to all of the stuff we mentioned here in the description i think it was last week when we did the we actually like included the fourth show thing you guys did into like a weekend watch recommendation we do it weekly. So, oh cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah, cool. And we told, hey, we need to get Perry on the show, and that, then <laughs> then I was like, I probably just need to message him <laughs> and not just say that hey, we're going to invite him. So yeah, this worked out great. Cool. Nice one, guys. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure coming up on the show. It's been brilliant. As always, like, share, subscribe, YouTube things, and same goes for podcast platforms. If you like what we do and want to help us get bumped by the mighty algorithms of all the platforms, leave a review, like, all kinds of things. And yeah, thank you for watching. Have a great weekend. Or if you're watching this some other time, then Friday, have a great whatever day you're having. Something like that. Happy summer (laughs) as well. Where it is summer already. So yeah, thanks for watching. We shall see you next time. Bye, podcast. Damn it, I forgot that.